0: Hello, Karen here from Accentuate the Positive Media. Please remember to subscribe and leave your comments if you're listening to this on YouTube or any of the audio platforms. Send us a rating or a comment or send me an email if you're enjoying the shows. Today I'm making available some highlights from our two-hour online session in the Inner Sanctum with our guest teacher for August, Raphael Tamora. Raphael is a psychic, a, a spiritual teacher, intuitive, animal communicator, all sorts of things. She's writing a book on the, at the moment about her experiences with her dogs, and uh, she shares her journey with us and some tips on being a spiritual, well, a sensitive and an empath and uh, Know spiritual teacher or a light weaver or a light worker in today's world and how we put ourselves out there to as a difference maker. She also did some mini readings with some of the uh, people online. So enjoy about 50 minutes of our two-hour session, some highlights, and remember if you want to join us online and meet some of the people that I showcase on Accentuate the Positive, go to com slash inner sanctum and you'll see all the details there putting the prices up next year so if you're listening to this in 2019 <laughs> you can still get in at a discounted price not expensive at all 25 dollars a month for australians and which makes it a lot less for a us and uk europe enjoy hello and welcome to the inner sanctum with guest teacher Raphael tamora so beautiful to have you with us Raphael. thank
1: you for inviting me
0: You've been really getting out there lately. I noticed that Bill uh, interviewed you for his next documentary.
1: Yes, it was a lot of fun and it was the day after we got back from a two-week trip, so I don't know how well I did, but we sure had a great time. I'm sure you did
0: well. Because you've been the woman behind the man, really, haven't you? You've been sort of like, you know, helping Michael with his teachings. I know you do it together. But he's kind of been the front person and you've sort of been the woman you know, doing all the stuff behind the scenes, putting out the
1: newsletter and
0: everything like that.
1: I have been, but um, how that came about was that we got so busy at a certain point, one of us had to do the business or it wouldn't get done. So I had to step back a little bit, but I'm still here.
0: I watched a couple of um, shows with, now who was that guy that had a television show that Michael was on um years ago and you see michael in all his different guises because you see him as a younger man and he's kind of chubby and then you see him getting older and he gets thinner and <laughs> yeah, that's ellen's
1: four hearts and uh, he passed away a few years ago but was a really great friend of ours oh he left his body already oh okay and yeah, his his show was bridging heaven and earth and if you go online i'm sure all his shows are out there they the interview- are once or twice a year, almost every year of the show.
0: Yeah. Oh, Alan's left. Well, for people that don't know your story, do you, should we get into a little bit of your story, how how you became a, a medium and a psychic and a teacher and and um, a, an animal communicator, I suppose. Would you call yourself an animal communicator?
1: Um, I really don't, mm. but I can communicate with animals. I actually... My specialty is communicating with people. Mm -hmm. And if the animals are included, that's uh, all the better as far as I'm concerned. Um, I have a really long history. I don't know how much of it you're interested in hearing, but I'll try and kind of encapsulate it (laughs) as much as I can. Um, I had my first awakening as a five-year-old. When I was five years old, I had a dream where I was shown my future. And it was all given in symbolism, but in the dream, there was a person standing behind me uh, that was narrating the, the definition of all the symbols that I was looking at. Which basically said, when I grew up, I was going to be a spiritual teacher and help a lot of people. And to kind of hang in there because I had business to finish with the people I was living with at the time. And um, I was living with, of course, my family. I was one of nine children, and I was shown that uh, at that time, there were only five of us at that point. Um, But I was shown that really the business I had to finish with was only my mother, my father, and one of my brothers, which I thought was really interesting. Um, But over the years, this dream was so profound, and it ended with – an array of, of um, symbols, which I had no idea what they meant, I was five years old, but I kept having the dream over and over and over again throughout my entire childhood, and um, basically I was being reminded when I would start to forget that I was supposed to be a spiritual teacher. Now. I had no idea what this was going to look like because I was a little Catholic, Irish Catholic girl going to a, when I started school, I went to a Catholic school and fortunately most of my school years was not in Catholic schools, but my first year was. And so, you know, I was very Catholic oriented except um, there were all these sensitivities that I had and that actually members of my other members of my family had as well. and. Um, as i grew up when i'd start to forget i would have this dream again and again and then as i got older um i stopped having that dream and i started dreaming about this man and this man was not my husband um michael that many of you might know about but this older man who i described looked like my father and uh was probably born around the same year as he wasn't as it turned out this man was born one year before my father the year of 1918 um but i in in the meanwhile i kept having dreams and visions that um i would be trained as a psychic and so my uh, psychic training by the way wasn't as a medium i'm naturally a medium and I didn't choose to go the route of becoming a medium even though I have actually had training in the area of being a medium and I can do the whole medium thing if I wanted to but my choice has much more been to be a clairvoyant because my orientation um, I became very interested in theosophy and other things when I was in my early 20s I started having uh, visions of getting my training in a little house in the area where I was living, which was in uh, San Jose, California area. I don't know if you know where that is, but it's in the San Francisco Bay Area. And um, I always envisioned walking into this place and it was just a little house on a corner. And um, I came up to a time in my life where I really needed to take a step. And funny thing is I had a choice um, I was just getting ready to take a quilting class, which is very American, um, you know, Midwest. I'm originally from the Midwest. And I, I went through a couple of days period which were very, very critical in my life. And you, some of you might have experienced something like this where um, everything went wrong. Everything, but it, it went wrong in a way that put me in the right direction which was kind of amazing. And what went wrong was, my, at the time I was married to someone else, um, my mother-in-law, my, my husband at the time's mother, who I was really close to, was dying. That was thing number one. Thing number two was I ran over a dog, which is, for me, one of the worst things that can happen. I didn't kill him. It was a gi- ginormous dog. I actually chased him into the night until he disappeared. Um, and I had, I ended up in the backyard of one of the neighbors there trying to find this dog, but he had jumped over a garbage can at the back of the yard and uh, disappeared. And I didn't know until six or eight months later when I saw the dog again um, that he was okay. But it was one of those situations where the dog darted out. I couldn't even put on my brake. It, it happened so fast. And the third thing that happened um, was that I got in this unbelievably weird car accident it it was one of those uh, five-way intersections it's kind of confusing for some people but I took that intersection every day and I came through I had the right of way and three different people made mistakes and I avoided the first two and it was just like oh because one was a sports car running a stop sign and another was uh, someone who wasn't making a right, correct turn uh, and got into my lane, got into my lane. So it was, would have been a head on. And I got around her and I was just relaxing and I got slammed in the rear of my car uh, by a gigantic tr- uh, pickup truck. And I got—I was already injured from from a work injury I'd had a number of months earlier, so I guess you could add that to the list. And within the next few days, I was sitting at my desk. I had quit that job where I had gotten hurt, and I was at a desk job. And I had purchased for myself a magazine that was uh, psychically oriented, and I was thinking, Wow, you know, I've never had a psychic reading since I was 16. One of my girlfriends had a Mother who was a psychic, and I would. I think I need a reading, is what I said. And I opened this magazine, and it listed a psychic institute that gave readings for a very, very low price. And it just so happened to be in my neighborhood. And remember, I'd been having these dreams about a place that I got psychic training in my neighborhood. So I signed up for a reading on the phone, and I went there, and um, it was. It was the, I couldn't believe it. It was the place that um, that I had seen for so many years in my dreams, and it wasn't until um, I got done with the reading that I realized this was actually a psychic training place. It wasn't just a place for getting a reading. It was for people to learn how to do readings, and it wasn't until six months after that that I actually met the founder of this place, who was in Berkeley, and. Um, It was under very fun circumstances because it was his birthday party and I wanted to go meet the man that founded this place because there were 17 institutes at that time in California. There's only a few of them left now and I were not involved in them, but it it was a very major part of my life and, and really helped me to take my steps. And so... I went to his birthday party, and but I didn't know anybody. I was kind of new. I'd been taking classes for six months. I didn't start my clairvoyant training until another six months later, and I was concerned about not having enough money to pay for it. So, um, I went to this party, and it was on a boat on the San Francisco Bay. How much more beautiful can you get, right? And what do you do when you're you know 30 years old, and you don't know anybody, you go to the bar part, right? Well, in this boat, the bar part was downstairs, and it was not even lit very well, and nobody was there yet. No band was set up or anything. So I'm sitting there, going, "Okay, what do I do now?" Because <laughs> I'm kind of shy. I don't really, I'm especially at that time. I didn't really go to people and say, "Hi, I'm Raphael, and I'm from the San Jose Institute," and all this kind of stuff. I just sat there, and went, "Okay, what's next?" And the next thing I knew, there was kind of like this little buzzing over in the corner where the stairway, very steep stairway, there was a guy coming down, and he's got all these people buzzing around him like bees. And he's sort of an older man, and and I I was being my shy, demure self at the time and kind of looking down like that. And he tells everybody, go away. And he comes over and sits right down next to me. And he starts giving me a reading. And the first thing he said to me was, oh no, not you again. <laughs> I I keep having to teach you. And then he gave me a little further reading. I didn't say a word to him. And one of the things he said was, you will get the money for your clairvoyant training program and um, you're going to be a very good psychic. And so I finally got the nerve to look up at him And I couldn't believe my eyes, this was the man that had been coming in my dreams for all those years after I stopped having that other dream. And he was the founder of the training center that I went to. So I knew I was in the right place. And I ended up being there for about 12 years. I finished all my training. I went through just about everything they had. And I ended up being one of the rectors another fancy word for basically the director of a psychic institute and the one I uh, directed I I first worked in Palo Alto Institute but then I uh, uh, with Michael uh, he and I founded the Anaheim one and stayed there for about four years so I was with that organization for about 12 years total and um, I had on one hand a really fantastic experience on another hand it, there came a time when it was time for me to go, and when I did go, Michael and I went together, and we went on our own to start our own training uh, of people, and we call what we do the community without walls, but of course, between in those 12 years um, that I was there, I learned so much about everything uh, psychic, and since then I finished my time there in 1993 so it's been a long time I continued to do readings Michael and I continued to teach classes but not in a in the same style as this place we came from because we didn't want to be tied down to a specific place we wanted to be able to travel travel around and teach and um this brings me up a little bit to the story about the animals because I know some of you are really interested in the animals and how that all played into my story. So did you want me to tell that story again, Karen? Yeah. Yeah, okay. that would be great. That's <laughs> good. Okay, so with the animals, um, that goes back to actually b- before my institute days because it's sort of woven in to all the time Um, I was living in Santa Cruz, and I was moving to San Jose, and I had this lovely dog companion. You know, back in those days, that was, let's see, if I can even remember the year, it was in the late 1970s. Um, I was a typical hippie girl. I had my dog. And I love this dog. She was half coyote and half German shepherd. She was given to me when I was in a country western band, because I also sing and play music, although I don't do much of that anymore. Um, she was given to me as a gift when I, uh, I was originally going to go get a golden retriever dog from a woman who was divorcing. And the day I was to pick up the dog, the dog... And, and its dog companions had been killed by the ex-husband. And I was so brokenhearted, and it was right around my birthday time, so my roommates at the time got, got me this dog. And it was from the family of one of my roommates who were wealthy and lived up in the hills of San Mateo, and their German Shepherd had gotten knocked up <laughs> by a coyote. So she was half coyote and half German Shepherd, and uh, she looked like a German Shepherd except for her long coyote face. Um, but she, but uh, she, her behavior was German Shepherd, except when I went camping, she just became a total wild dog. It was very interesting sort of duality between her domesticism and her wild dogism. And so one of the things that happened. Um, after I was done with my time in Santa Cruz, I was moving to San Jose and I had this big, long yellow, uh, I painted with myself, <laughs> a yellow Chevy long van. And I had, Raya was the dog's name and she was behind my seat. This was a cargo van. So there weren't any seats in the back. She was right behind my seat as I was driving and I was driving over the pass between Santa Cruz and San Jose, and I would just gotten over the pass, and I was passing a road called uh, something like Mountain Road or Rocky Mountain Road. I don't remember what it was. Oh, Bear Mountain Road. And um, there was a situation up ahead. It was raining. I was driving 55 miles an hour, which was the law at the time, so it wasn't speeding or anything, even though I tend to have a little strong, heavy foot, having been from Detroit, the Motor City. Um... I was driving along on the slow lane and I noticed somebody up ahead in the fast lane was dead in the water. They were stopped. And that, that's not a good thing for those of you who don't live in America. So I'm kind of being cautious. And then I heard this huge voice at the back of my head. I could hear it with both of my ears. Grab onto your steering wheel and look in your rear view mirror. And I knew he wasn't talking about the rear view mirror to see out the back window because the Chevy long was so long, you could hardly see out of there. He was talking about the one on my door. So I grabbed onto the steering wheel really tight and I looked and all I saw was this white flash. And I only found out later what it was, but this person crashed into me so hard that had I not been holding onto the steering wheel, I would have rolled off the side of the road. Because uh, this vans are top heavy, so I pulled off, and what I saw was a big a guy in one of those really big wheel trucks, a pickup truck, um, had been hitting. I guess he turned off of that uh, Bear Mountain Road and was going about 90 miles an hour or something, and he didn't see the guy that was dead in the water. It turned out that was that guy was a handicapped guy. His car stalled and he couldn't get out and fix it. So he was in a really, really bad, dangerous situation. So the guy who was coming along decided he was either going to run over that guy and kill him or he was going to hit me. And he decided to hit me and my guides were very helpful that day because that was the first time I heard them that loud. Hold on to the steering wheel, look in the rear view mirror. So my life was saved even though I crashed my head against the window pretty hard. Um, And nobody died. Uh, And the guy hit me so hard, his, his truck turned around and he ended up a quarter of a mile down the road on the other side of the freeway. That's how hard he hit me. And what he did was he hit the panel of the van right behind my seat, right where Raya was lying. I know I'm kind of expanding on this story, but it's pretty dramatic. He hit right where Raya was laying. And because I was in a little shock from hitting my head, and I had already gotten out of the car on the other side because my car door wouldn't open, I I sort of forgot about her for a second until I saw her trying to climb out. And uh, then she came back into my focus, and I don't know if she got knocked out or whatever, but within the next three days, she started having the most horrible epileptic seizures, and I think she got hit in the head. I think she got hit really hard, or her spine went out of alignment or something, but she had really bad epilepsy. And I was in my early 20s when this happened. Um, I, I hardly had a clue about what to do, so I went to doctors and so on to get medicine for the epilepsy. And, but she had seizure after seizure after seizure, and as time went on, I was getting worried that she was gonna die from one of these seizures, so they upped her medicine and everything. And one day, I was um, now advanced a few years and forward, I was um, sitting somewhere in the house, and she came up to me, and I could actually hear her say to me, help me, I'm about to have a seizure, I'm in trouble. And she sounded like a, about a 12-year-old girl. And I went, really? So I sat down, and I had just started learning how to give healings. At that point, I was in my beginning training. I wasn't with that. I wasn't married to that guy anymore that I was talking about. And I started giving her a healing, and um, she, even though she went into her uh, epileptic seizure, she came out of it really fast. And these were grand mal seizures, and she was having seven or eight of them a day, so it was really hard. And so. Over time, it got to the point where all she had to do is come in and give me that look, and she didn't even have to talk in my head and say, hey, I'm in trouble. Um, I was able to know when she was in trouble. I'd give her healing, and over time, we were able to get her off her medicine, and the doctors had said the medicine was going to kill her at seven years old, and she was about seven by the time I started getting my training, and um, we were able to actually... We, meaning my guides and I, my healing guides, uh, she was able to live to be 14 years. So she lived a full life, and um, that was an amazing adventure with her. And she even created being able to be called into uh, the institute where I was training myself to be the example of, let's heal this dog, right? And so she had her own touch-ins without me at the Psychic Institute, and it was really quite a, um, let's say, wonderful lifetime for her. And the last two years of her life, I had to give her up. And um, part of that is because I worked a full-time job, and then um, I was also teaching at the Institute and taking more of my training. And so I gave her back to my ex-husband, who at the time was remarried and living in um, South Dakota, I think. And the night she passed away, which was two years after he got her at the end of her life, I had a dream. And my dream was that, um, that she had passed away and that I was taking her up to the heavenly plains where she needed to go and in that dream i'm holding this dead dog and the guy is on the uh, stairway of this beautiful kind of greek building with the uh, maybe roman with the roman columns you know greek roman i don't know i'm not very good at history anyway but big white building with the roman columns and he just says you know hand her over and i said no wait a minute i want to talk to you about something this dog is a really good dog, I told this guy in my dream. I want her to be advanced further along on the dog path. And he kind of gives me a funny look like, hmm, I don't know about this. But he he just said, give her over. And so I did. And off he went. And I woke up the next day and called my ex-husband. And I said, did Raya die last night? And he said, Um what do you know <laughs> he says you lived with me you knew I was psychic all that time and uh, he said yes yeah, she died she had gone she had gotten into some kind of trouble maybe having a stroke or something and and they had to put her down that night but she had a good passing. And that was that. And I didn't have a dog for another five years. If you want to have a
0: chat. Just a couple of things. Does anyone have any questions for Raphael about the story? It's a beautiful story. I mean, it's a tragic story, but a beautiful story. Uh, but a couple of things that came up as you were talking. Um, you know, when you said I had the accident and my guides were watching, I got this image of like, we're like a television show for us. Cos. <laughs> It's like we're on 24-7 right. and they're watching every single move we make. You know, I just got that image. Yeah. It's it just just sort of, yeah. And uh, the
1: other part is we're supposed to live a certain amount of years and if it's not our time to go, no matter how bad it is, they figure out a way to get us out.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I know. But it's it's kind of like when you're talking about the crash, it's kind of like, so my spirit guides are gonna let me have this crash. They're not gonna save me, but they're gonna warn me. It's it's yeah, anyway, it sort of talks about the things that are destined, the things that are that we plan, you know, they're supposed to happen. Like we speak about this a lot in on the shows and in the inner sanctum, that um that we are creators of our universe, of our lives, and often we create the tragedies as much as we create you know, the stuff that is um, seemingly not tragedy. So, yeah, it was all sort of destined to happen. And also yeah. what I want to say is I know that, you know, um, well, everyone here is a psychic really and all everyone on earth is a psychic, but yes. sort of looking more into how to use those abilities, especially to help others. So you talk about your training, you know, do you offer the same training to people that, that, that they can train with you and then, you know, call themselves healer, psychic, you know, do you offer this for people?
1: Well, we do, but not in the way that <clears throat> in the training that we actually gave. If a person wants to go get formal training, we can recommend places for them to go. And uh, for the person interested in being an animal psychic, I believe Penelope Smith is in Arizona who is the grandmother of animal communication. So okay. you might want to look into her. Um, Penelope Smith all right Smith. yeah she's written a lot of books I think she's kind of my age you know uh, getting up there in, in retirement time but a lot of her a number of her students have become quite well known as well she's but she was the first one who actually coined the phrase or got the phrase animal communication to be popular but for other kind of trainings um, there may be some people that are doing the training in your area, and I know uh, the institute where I trained was the Berkeley Psychic Institute, and I know there's a few around California that are left, but we're not involved with them anymore, just just to make that really clear. Um, we The training we have, um, if a person wants to learn the tools and self-practice uh, and not have training with other people in the style where we train, we have a course um, that is available. You could call our, our office at 530-926-2650. I'm th- throwing that in there uh, because I'm sure there's going to be a recording of this. Um, to find out about it, it's the, um, the name of the course, that the nickname is the levels course, because it's done in six levels. It's a life mastery practices uh, course, and basically we run you through the beginning tools, including the how to re- give a reading, uh, or how to give a beginner's reading until you can practice and, and create your own style of reading. Um, but we have that available by recording. And um, it's done in six levels, and it's, it was about a year and a half's worth of teleclasses, in-person seminars, and so on. So it's very long, but it's, it's extremely detailed. So that if you were interested in learning some of this stuff from us, that's one of the ways to do it. We have usually at any given time since we gave that course, because we gave that course a few years ago, uh, there's usually six or seven people that are taking the course and checking in with us while they're taking the course. And if they manage to finish it and feel like they're actually able to practice the tools and, and use the tools for doing readings and so on, um, we have an advanced group, um, which is the one we put the, our most attention on these days called Shape, the Seers and Healers Advanced Practice Experience. And um, in that, we usually have a course that we give throughout every year it starts usually in February and ends around December, which includes somewhere around 33 teleseminars over the year, uh, and the teleseminars are two hours long, and as well as um, a March and a December in-person uh, week two-day weekend and two retreats, which are Friday night, Saturday and Sunday and a person who can't travel to come to the in-person things can still get the recordings of them so this is a group this is what we call our community without walls and we also include the people who are not in the shape group because we travel a lot one of the places michael teaches a lot and i'm with him uh, most of the time on these trips is switzerland he was teaching in germany for a while but um, Zurich is where he teaches, and um, in October we're going to be doing a retreat about an hour outside of Zurich um, for three days of Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in October. And I may be teaching a little bit on that workshop as well because I I haven't been able to do the teaching that much in our retreats because up until this year, I did all the food cooking. And you can you either food cook or you you know are a teacher <laughs> because I was way too exhausted uh, from doing my food cooking to teach, but uh, occasionally I would do like a one hour or two hours in any given weekend. Mm-hmm. So that gives you a little, uh, a, little a little insight into what you The other thing okay. is a lot of our students and a lot of the ex students of BPI are all over the world so if you're looking for a clairvoyant training program you might w- want to put it in your search engine and if someone says they're BPI trained that might be or trained by us that might be someone you might be interested in because mm-hmm.
0: i know there's so many people have, have natural talent and they can just do it and then once you're activated you're off and running you know i speak to so many people on the show who are waking up now um Rafael, who are you know, they're just bringing through amazing stuff. But that's all well and good once you've kind of, you know, turned on, tapped in, tuned in. But how do you put yourself out there as a difference maker, as a healer, as a teacher and, and you know, and get people to find you? And, you know, it's, it's like that's probably the puzzle piece. Um, how did you do it? How did you go, you know, when you did your training, how did you step out there as someone who's doing readings and healing and
1: well, well, there's a couple things I want to address. Um, I want to address what you said before um, about, you know, people who are have the natural talent and are out there bringing things through. And one of the things I wanted to explain, which was the importance of training is to have tools to handle energy um, psychics are very sensitive people, and I don't have to preach to you guys about this. And I'm Midwestern, we say you guys to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, the thing is, we know we're sensitive, and sometimes you'll get a re that's what we call them a re Sometimes you get a re D with really bad energy, or sometimes you're, you know, just trying to deal with being sensitive in a, in a mall or something like that. And how do you deal with that? You know, all that, which nobody else hears who isn't as sensitive as you. The tools are really important to have if you're going to get yourself out there as a psychic. I I can't emphasize that enough. And if uh, one of the things that we get thanked for over and over and over again is you taught us the tools to handle being this sensitive and to handle taking that sensitivity up to the next step of putting myself out there as a clairvoyant or as a medium. You know, mediumship is even a much more delicate space. And what we do with mediums is we teach them to be a clairvoyant first. And that's really important because if you're going to channel beings of any kind, you have to know who the heck you're hanging out with or else you could get in a lot of trouble. So that's, that's that angle. Now, how do we get ourselves out there?
0: I just want to say something too. <laughs> I know that Judy, you know, Judy says that she prefers animals to people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we discussed, I think, on one of the inner sanctums, we were chatting about that. And I think it's because of exactly what you said, Raphael, you know, like when you're really sensitive, you pick up on it or people start because animals don't have as many negative thoughts as people. So when you're out there in the mall, and, um, and you're, you've got access to people's vibrations. Yeah, you know, it's like I remember in my 30s, I just couldn't go out into malls because I was yeah. just overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed. The supermarket would overwhelm me. And yeah. um, I had to learn to handle my vibration in order to be out in public. I mean, I'm still like that. When I go out to big groups and stuff, I have fun. I'm like loving everybody. I'm giving readings. I'm having a great time. But I come home and I just need to go. Uh, I just on Saturday I was at a big event, and then someone said, "Come out for the night." And I'm like, "Can I do? Can I do it twice in one day? Can I go out and be with a group of people?" You know, and I thought probably not.
1: That's where the tools are really important, such as grounding and bringing your aura in around yourself, and learning how to clean out your space as well.
0: Yeah.
1: so being able to quiet your quiet yourself and work with the energy that you're stuck with. Yeah. One of my favorite tools uh, that we teach, besides the grounding, that's connecting from the first chakra to the center of the earth. The other favorite tool of mine is one we call body of glass. It sounds fragile, but it isn't. It's simply letting it just go through. You know, things, if you put up a lot of white light around yourself, that works for emergencies. It's not a good idea to leave it up there. Otherwise, you can't release energy either. So we simply use what's called a protection rose or or a mini-me rose, just a putting a rose out there in the front of your aura that represents you. So when people put their attention on you, it hits the rose instead. But if the energy is powerful, and it gets past your rose. If you're a body of glass, it just goes right through, kind of like a sun ray through a window, okay? And it's, it's a tool of non-resistance. So it doesn't mean you have to let someone run you over. You can still be grounded and stand your ground about something, but you can still be also a body of glass so you don't kind of go out with the energy that gets thrown at you. You're right here in the center of your head. The energy is passing through, and you can still respond in your mind instead of out of your mind, so to speak. Yeah. That's, that's just one very small thing that we teach that for me is really powerful it's one of our beginners tools because sensitives if you can't handle the energy you're not going to last very long as a psychic and probably uh, judith is it that has i like animals but not people yeah, <laughs> part you. of it is because people's energy is you know <sighs> and um, however whatever kind of a family you grew up in you probably got tired of it by the time you were 12. So um you know it's and it's not our family's fault it's just how it is in this world you know some of us come in to let's say families that are not as uh psychically or spiritually advanced and it's for us to kind of get our lessons that we need and and to find out what our needs are as a as a soul and sometimes it's oh look at you know uh I had one friend say when she was five years old, she was sitting on the front porch of her farm, and her, her overwhelming thought that she had when she was watching her family work was these poor people, these poor people that they have to you know, be so narrow. That's a five-year-old. Wow. And, and she ended up growing up to be a clairvoyant and um, pretty tough lady, too. But, you know, sometimes you got to grow a little bit of a thick skin. On on the other hand, if if you're a person who hasn't done that, like I grew up with six brothers, so I had to grow a thick skin, and I was super, super sensitive. But still, you know, in handling uh, throngs of people or being, you know, being shy is simply being a person who's very sensitive to attention. And for me... I I had my first psychic question when I was 16 and I tried to perform for my first time in a coffee house and I was ready, I'd been practicing and I got up there and within the first three lines of the song, I could not remember anything. And basically what what I learned many years later when I started getting my training is I left. (laughs) That's why I couldn't remember it. I wasn't here where the information is. So... You know, if you learn to stay grounded, you can learn to have your power because here's the thing about psychics, even though we tend to look like we're, you know, easy to run over or or that we can't handle anything, we're actually a lot more powerful than the normal person. It's just our power is in our awareness. Mm -hmm. And when we start to learn to handle the energy, we can take off with that and when i say power i'm not saying power over other people it's simply having your power oh absolutely and being able to take take yourself from where you are here and use learn to use your gifts and and take them where they need to go absolutely
0: i think everyone here can relate to feeling like you've been bamboozled or run over by people you know like stronger people or your family or husbands i'm gonna say husbands there's no men on the line or partners i should say yeah yeah i think everyone can relate to that right you sort of feel like and uh yeah your power is in
1: your awareness
0: so true it's so true
1: i can continue my answer to your question about how did i get myself how did we get ourselves out there Yeah. Th- that's been a fun journey for us because when we were running the institutes and in, um, I started my training in the early 1980s, so quite a long time ago. And when I became an institute director and I was training my own students, that's just when computers were starting to come up. Yeah. Okay, So um, we were still putting advertisement in the whole, you know, whole living magazines and that sort of thing to get our students and um, I was learning how to do newsletter. That was the first time I learned how to do a newsletter was in about 1985. And, um, you know, starting to get your mailing list so that you could mail something out to people. And I did that for years and years, all through the 90s. Um, but then the personal computers started coming online, online meaning in, in the world and regular use and um, I started having my mailing list and and we still had our mail out newsletter probably until 2006 and one of the things that I always tell people who ask me that question is how do you get yourself out there because when we left the institute I started with zero people on our mailing list. Michael went downtown to do uh, some healings in a in a metaphysical store and and he had a little piece of paper with the people can put down their uh, mailing list so they could find out what we're doing. I mean, we did all this on the fly, but the thing I learned was basically get a mailing list, communicate with your people regularly once a month, at least not too much because people are getting overwhelmed with too many emails and all that, you know, get on the social site, say hello to people. Some psychics I see going out there will, once in a while, when they're needing to, to uh, boost their business up, they'll give away one free reading to one of their Facebook friends or something, and they start to get all kinds of response. Um, it's really uh, kind of a self motivated um, business being as a psychic. But we had this one time when we were first on our own, and um, I, I had about 20 people call me when we first w- left the institute and moved to our home up in, that was in South Sacramento in uh, 1993, and we started a mailing list, and it got big pretty fast, And um, but I had a PC at the time, and I don't know if you remember the early PCs, and you know, I have a brother that was one of the designers of those doggone things at IBM. Those things crashed all the time. <laughs> And there, were, there was more than one time that I had to rescue my mailing list from everything else when my computer went into that, you know, everything started falling apart, crash. You know, it was just, uh-oh, my computer's about to crash, so grab the mailing list. That was the one thing I saved. And nowadays, of course, uh, I don't have a PC. I have a Apple, because it never crashes, and I keep my mailing list in several places online. Uh, Constant Contact is a really good place to keep it, and that's a place where you can create online um, newsletters from, and so keeping in communication, uh, keep getting permission from your clients. May I send you my newsletter once in a while? And, you know, you can do everything from a coupon for, you know, uh, you get a reading and and bring in a friend and they get $25 off or something like that. Um, And basically, we started from scratch in 93. And then when Michael started having all of his heart issues, I had to stop doing our print newsletter. And our print newsletter, which I learned how to do on my own, as the computers were being developed, so Microsoft Publisher was the first one, and then then finally, later on, we got to the Constant Contact. But um, having that newsletter go out, like by the time we were done doing the print newsletter, we had started with a four-page, little folded print newsletter like this, and by the time I was done doing it in 2006, it was 28 pages, full color, and took you know five days for me to make before i and twenty thousand dollars to send it was a lot of money yeah and now and and when michael started having his uh, heart issues and ended up in in the hospital and are kind of challenging our finances we had to come up with a different way different well i think we took it online
0: yeah online it's a different world now Uh, i think that you know the um the thing is that as with sensitive people, I know that we're not really great at pushing ourselves in front of the pack and saying, "Look at me! Look at me! I'm amazing! I'm amazing!" This is the thing I come up with with this group, especially, mm-hmm. is just sharing who you are. Today, I think that people people get audiences because they just they get out there and they start blogging, they start talking about their experiences, they start telling people what's happening. And, um, you know, I think that that's probably the way to get people to notice you. And and it's not easy for people like us. It's funny because I'm in front of the camera and talking to people all the time. But this is not my natural state of being, even though it looks like I'm sort of like bold and rambunctious. It's really not. So it's like (laughs) talking about yourself, talking about your experiences, blogging, Facebooking, you know, talking on groups, like just telling people what you're going through gets gets that attention because it's a, such a noisy world out there online now, you know, like there's there's just so many groups and people and there's so many loud voices screaming about something or another. But yeah, um, yeah your vibe will attract your attract your tribe. Just
1: oh, that's a nice little just, saying. Your vibe will your attract. Your
0: vibe attracts your tribe. Yeah. Uh, but just getting, you know, getting your story, which is what I do with the shows, right? And is like getting people's stories out there on um, but you got it just has to be constant, just blogging and talking about yourself and doing little vlogs, you know, pieces to video. Yeah, Kristen. What I have found I like to do is uh, gather a f- group of small people, like this really, but in person and then just share our experiences. Yeah, That's what I tend to create um, and I'm most comfortable with. Because where I am, there are quite a few people in my position, which I live in Salt Lake City. Utah is, depending on the region you're in, is 40% to 80% Mormon or LDS, people that are much more of a, in the spiritual community. And then we share our experiences. And um, I have found there's really a need for that. I needed it yeah. really badly. And so I created it and there really is a need for that
1: being a psychic in this type of a world is an important thing being a light worker and a way shower is very important and to keep that and not get discouraged is very important yes
0: yes absolutely thanks for joining us in the full recording We spoke more about how to be psychic and sensitive in this world, how to attract your tribe and help others, sharing our experiences, animal, more animal, including wild animal communication, some stories about Raphael and some wild cats or cougars, in the wild veganism, how people feel very strongly about not eating animals and what their past life or their soul contract is, as New World Teachers and the New World Hippies (laughs) and much more. Raphael did some mini readings and we had a fabulous time. To watch the full recording and receive more wonderful teachings from myself, Karen, and my guest teachers, join our Inner Sanctum monthly online sessions, Deliberate Creation for the Light Weavers and the
1: New World Teachers. Bye for now.